a bug of, of this type happens in um, a super majority client, which means a client that is used more than 67% of the network. I think yeah. this is how they define it. Um, then we have a problem um, because uh, the way that the consensus algorithm works right now, um, that means that the, they will not just drop off the network. They will be on their own network. Uh, which will be the wrong network because it's a bug and it, it, it would not be following this, the specification of Ethereum. Um, but they would even finalize this network because with 67%, uh, mo- no, more than one, more than two thirds, uh, you basically have the ability to uh, well f- finalize uh, the chain. And once this uh, gets done, you cannot go to the other chain. <music> Hi everyone, welcome to Unchained, your no hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto eight years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full time. This is the January 26th, 2024 episode of Unchained. With iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell crypto in a tax advantage retirement account. Enjoy significant tax advantages, 24 7 access, and the industry's lowest fees. VaultCraft is your no-code DeFi toolkit for customizing non-custodial automated yield products on any EVM chain. Join the referral program today and start earning rewards. Learn more at vaultcraft.io. Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Today's guest is Lefteris Karapetsis, founder of Rocky. Welcome, Lefteris. Hey, hey, Laura. Uh, nice to be here again. This week, a potential single point of failure risk to Ethereum was identified when on Sunday, Ethereum core developer Lucas Rosmej tweeted that minority client Nethermind had a consensus issue. What does all that mean? Uh, yeah, so this is an interesting problem that popped up that actually has been identified for quite a long time and has been warned against by many core developers. Um, so a consensus issue is when a client um, in Ethereum, uh, for some reason, just doesn't properly identify, like create something uh, wrong uh, in, in a block, in a, a wrong state. And then all of the rest of the clients do not agree with it. And in our case, uh, in Ethermind, because they're the minority, they just drop out of the network for a bit. And the developers of Nethermind like, reacted immediately. I think it was a Sunday, right? Yeah. So, you know, like the worst time for something to happen. <laughs> um, and it was evening in Europe. And I think Nethermind is mostly in Poland. Or probably, like I know at least the founders are in Poland. Um, so it was like a very bad time for the for the thing to happen. Yet they reacted fast and they, they released a fix. and. Everything was okay. 
Yeah. And just to clarify for people, um, I should have said at the beginning that um, I was talking about a software client. So this is the software that's trying to, um, you know, make sure that Ethereum, that all the nodes or all the computers running the software are in sync with each other, which is, of course, how the blockchain, um, you know, comes to consensus and is able to execute on these different transactions. So, you know, as you mentioned, this had been identified as a risk previously, but um, why was this something that caused so much hand wringing amongst the Ethereum community? Yeah. Um, so, as, as you said, this was identified as a problem before. But um, so, if a bug happens right now, uh, like it happened on Sunday with Nethermind on a client that holds uh, even fifty percent of le- less than fifty percent of the network, I think, then it's not a big problem. Uh, they will drop off for a bit, a fix will be deployed, the rest of the network will chug on uh, properly. But a bug of, of this type happens in um, a super majority client, which means a client that is, I think, more used more than 67% of the network. I think yeah. this is how they define it. Um, then we have a problem um, because uh, the way that the consensus algorithm works right now, um, that means that the, they will not just drop off the network. They will be on their own network, uh, which will be the wrong network because it's a bug and it, it, it would not be following this, the specification of Ethereum. Um, but they would even finalize this network because with 67%, uh, mo- no, more than one, more than two thirds, uh, you basically have the ability to uh, well f- finalize uh, the chain. And once this uh, gets done, you cannot go to the other chain. You cannot say, okay, oh, well, let's let's go back, let's fix it, and let's put our validators into the other chain. It, it, this can't work because you already finalized the the wrong one. So such a scenario would be really bad because that would destroy uh, essentially almost all of the stake of the people who are staking with the supermajority client if the protocol is followed completely to the end. So uh, uh, the details and the math I don't remember exactly, as I'm no longer uh, like really actively working on the on the uh, on the protocol itself. But what would happen is that the minority client would have this uh, view, which is the right view of the network, where they are all uh, who use the minority client online, um, but the majority of the network, who, because this is why it's called super majority client, right? It's it's offline. So. For the in the right view of the network, what would happen is that they would get hit by the penalty of being offline. The those who run the supermajority client, let's say Geth right now, let's say that the bug happens in Geth, they would slowly bleed. But this slow bleeding uh, of of ether of their stake um, is um, they had a term quadratic uh, something. It, it would be multiplied basically because the more people are offline. At the same time, this um, uh, penalty is multiplied, and then they would essentially end up losing part of their stake slowly, until the people who run the uh, only the minority client end up being the majority of the network. And if the stats are as we have it right now, that would basically mean that the super majority client stake is almost all of it burned in order wow. to get the network to the state. Just to um, you know, clarify for people. So the current supermajority client is Geth, um, which mm-hmm. which is Go Ethereum. It's a like a, a shortened a nickname for that. 
Um, but I, I looked this up and like as at the moment of recording, Geth accounts for 79% of the network. So um, that would mean that all of those stakers, I guess, would lose their stake eventually. Almost all of their stake. So as far as I understood, um, as much of their stake as is needed in order for the by spec network, the, the real network, make the those who run a minority client, let's say Nethermind, be the majority. So that the, so that the percentage is changed enough so that they are the, the majority. Um, wow. Yeah. And that, so that, that, that is actually a really um, ugly thing to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, any kind of um, unintentional chain split, obviously, well, even some of the intentional ones can be controversial. <laughs> um, but then, you know, obviously loss of funds. Um, and then, as you mentioned, a huge loss of confidence in Ethereum, it would probably be an existential crisis for the network. Um, you know, not not dissimilar to the DAO, which um, you're yeah. probably much more familiar with than, um, you know, most of the people on the entire planet. But so uh, let's... Um, Actually, just so obviously that's the worst case scenario. That's what everybody is upset about. But so now we've discussed when a minority client has a bug and they're at less than 50%, when a supermajority client has a bug and they're at more than 67%. And then do you know, can you talk about the middle scenario where um, there's a bug for a client that has between 50 and 67%? What what occurs in that situation? Um yeah, I, I don't remember it in, in the like in in a lot of detail, uh, but it's uh, basically neither has a majority to finalize. So you will still get a split, if if I remember correctly, you will still get a split. But then there is enough time for the developers to to put out a fix. So the faster you realize it, the better. Um, the developers of the body client can put out a fix, and then uh, the network could would essentially recover. Okay. So it's it's really not not that bad. Like so as long as any client has less than two thirds of the stake, we are good. Because this as long as finalization cannot happen, uh, we, we are we are okay. They're just gonna uh, well lose some some of their stake and it will be disruptive for the users because still there will be a chain split. It's 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 a bad scenario, not an Armageddon. Okay. And then the last thing that I wanted to um, mention is, as far as I understand, this issue wouldn't be resolved simply by having one software client. So can you explain why that is? Meaning if we didn't have multiple and there were just, there was just one, you know what I'm saying? Ah, so that there yeah. wouldn't be, yeah. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, if you have one client, the, 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 the client's view of the network is the truth, right? That's it. Like, right, but if there's a bug, then... So if you have only one client. Yeah. Right? Well, then everybody follows the bug. That's the thing. That's the, the, the bug becomes the network. Yeah, and I saw... Um, so I guess it's what in the Dankrad um, blog post where he outlines kind of like all the different scenarios. He said that that's not a solution because then you would actually, in that scenario, you actually just need to roll back the chain to before the bug... And obviously, when that happens again, it's the same issue where it, it you know causes a loss of confidence in Ethereum. Um, you know, people are upset. Like it, you know, as you know from the DAO, which yeah. you know you were one of the white hack. You were, yeah. These kind of bugs, they are uh, many times they would be. It could be like a really small thing in the state 
that just causes the consensus to not 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 match, but it doesn't really matter. So I I, I don't remember the details because I really I, I, it's been quite a bit of time. But there was one of the bugs that just you know it, it wouldn't have mattered if you so so to call it enshrine it. Just say okay, let's accept it because nobody gets more money, nobody loses any money, nothing bad. It's just that something went a bit unexpected, but it didn't matter to anybody. Even if it doesn't matter to anybody, in the case that we discussed with the supermajority client, it will uh, lead to this um, uh, scenario. Okay. In a moment, we'll discuss the events that happen after the Nethermind bug, but first a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Did you know you can buy and sell crypto with tax benefits in an individual retirement account? iTrust Capital makes this possible. But what does this mean? When you buy crypto outside an IRA, like on an exchange, you face taxes on gains. But in an IRA, like a Roth IRA, gains can be tax-free. iTrust Capital also has some of the lowest fees in the industry and 24-7 accessibility. Start now and maximize your retirement savings with iTrust Capital. Back to my conversation with Love Terrace. So after the Nethermind bug was identified, um, there was... You know, there were a number of different responses from the community. What are some of the things that happened? It really felt like uh, the DAO again, even though nothing happened, but they were just discussing what would happen. So the discussions range from um, we don't care about this if it ever happens, no matter how destruction, how much uh, uh, chaos this would um, uh, bring to the network. The stake of anybody running a supermajority client should be um, completely, you know, as by the protocol, um, uh, destroyed. And um, then let the network be in a disarray for for a while. You know, let's go through the Armageddon moment and then everybody will uh, finally um, respect uh, client diversity. So this was the one extreme. The other is like, who cares? If If such a thing ever happens, we'll just fork it out. No worries. Keep going. So these are the two extremes, which are both like extremes, in my opinion. I think the if such a thing happened, the the middle ground would be somewhere in between. So some kind of change still that would uh, allow a faster because you know you everybody is on it, everybody puts out patches on the clients. We can't bring the network up faster, but still give a penalty to the people who are doing the, the wrong thing, right? This is this is per the protocol. Because right now we are, we are a very big network with so many um, stakeholders and to just, you know, let it all burn for, for something like that, to me, it sounds a bit a bit too weird. So these are where the various reactions and also a lot of um, uh, hand uh, wringing and like uh, accusing here, accusing there for running Geth or for not, not running Geth and, and like, yeah, lots of drama. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, at least some of the, you know, bigger entities that are running um, nodes, they said that they, um, you know, intend to at least consider running some of the other um, clients. So for instance, Coinbase said that Geth was the only client that met their technical requirements in the past, but they're going to be doing another technical assessment. And they said, quote, um, that they do that with the goal of adding another execution client to our infrastructure. So potentially we could see the balance of the different clients change somewhat soon. Um, So, you know, there are other systems that have um, successfully, you know, um, created more client diversity. So for instance, amongst 
staking, we've seen that um, there's diversity in, I think it's called the the consensus clients. So these are, I believe, the execution clients, and then there's Mm -hmm. consensus clients. So how was diversity in consensus clients achieved? Or, you know, what lessons do you think from that could be applied to create more diversity in execution clients? Yeah. Hmm. So uh, Ethereum node, since the merge, is basically two clients, uh, the execution client and the consensus one. Uh, so we had the problem of the consensus layer having mostly, I think, Prism. Um, and then there's also uh, Lighthouse and uh, Teku and probably Nimbus, I think. So these are the other ones. Um, but Prism was the very top. I guess the same thing that you saw happen right now, like community calling out people, is what happened uh, with the consensus client. But it's also easier to monitor, um, if, if I'm not totally mistaken here, uh, to monitor consensus client usage because of the packets that are being sent around in, in for the consensus uh so because of the work that consensus client is doing, it's easier to see who is using what, how much percentage of the network. So it was probably easier to confirm that we were wrong and uh, to, to change. Also, Lighthouse, which is now the second um, most used one, in the beginning was very low. It's actually an amazing client. So I also have uh, running a, a small staker and I, I, I always used Lighthouse from the very beginning because it's just like very performant, very easy to use. So I would say, like, probably having good clients, like not having one bad client, no, sorry, one really good client, and then like three or four more, you know, bad, and to just use them for for diversity. Not saying that this is the case with execution layer. Uh, So a combination of of those, like having good clients, so not make someone running the minority client actually lose uh, in uh, attestations, so have less performance uh, for their staker, uh, or, or have to have a heavier machine, so to cost more resources. I guess, I guess this. There is, there is another, another, another problem. If you compare consensus and execution, as I said, it's very difficult to judge from what they 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 say. I'm actually, as I said, I'm not a core dev anymore. To find out who is using what client. So right now. That percentage that you are seeing, um, if you actually click around in that website, the client diversity dot whatever it's uh, it is, it says uh, that the data is just gathered by asking the biggest staking operators, and that's it. That that's the data. So basically, um, it was 84 uh, on Sunday. Now it's 79. Now it will probably drop a bit more because one more operator said that they went completely all in on uh, Besu. You, you actually sent me the tweet. Yeah, um, all nodes. Exactly. Um, so that is actually a really weird <laughs> problem because that means that we have no programmatic or, or like verifiable way to, to know what the network is, is running. We used to have something that was showing GIF as much, much less, like I think 40-something percent. And because it was an opt-in thing, or I don't remember exactly how it was working, like uh, p- people using... Um, uh, an extra client when they were running the client and maybe from the peers that they connect to just try to ask them, who, who are you, who are you? Um, and they made a blog post why this is not accurate, so they just completely dropped it. Right now, I'm not even sure if that is accurate either because, okay, sure, the biggest part of the validators in the network are probably, yes, indeed, like 
Coinbase and Lido and all that. But just asking them has problems in the sense that uh, both you are completely disregarding any solo stakers or any big solo stakers uh, and that you are completely trusting them. The the counter argument there is that they, they have absolutely no incentive to lie, but I'm not so sure about that. The more I think about it, I, I, I thought about it a lot since Sunday and I think that yeah, actually, maybe they do because they are businesses, and they, as, as any business, uh, you advertise your business and you want to get clients. And what are your clients? People who stake with you. You get the percentage, right? This is the professional staking. So, where would I stake my ETH if I don't want to run my own client with someone who actually runs a minority client? So, if you say that you know you run a minority client and you advertise it to everybody, then it will help you, and there is no way to verify that you are actually saying the truth. So mm. if we assume, which is not true, like for Nethermind, I have actually also used Nethermind, um, that Nethermind, let's say, or like there is some kind of minority client that is um, slower and less, uh, much more resource intensive, um, but you advertise that you use it uh, so to, to get users, but you end up using the most performant one, which is also the super majority, let's say, uh, then you, you do have an incentive to actually lie. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get that. Um, but going back to kind of how you were talking about how there are these extremes in the community in terms of their reaction, um, I did see that somebody on Reddit posted a comment about that scenario in which the supermajority client has a bug. And they said, um, no matter what happens, rest assured that the majority will find a way to not lose money, just like the Dow hack and other events. In fact, it is far more likely that the minority clients will end up being screwed. In the end, it is always going to be much safer to be in the same boat as all the big players. I was curious for your reaction to that. I saw that, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think that this is this is right. Um, because um, uh, I, I don't think that they would lose all their stake. I really think that something would uh, happen. like uh, Because it would be too catastrophic for the network to just burn it all. Um, but they wouldn't go unscathed, and uh, definitely the minority clients would not be would not be screwed. So it really is on your uh, as a staker. So if you're staking, it really is on your benefit to run a minority client because you don't know what will happen in such a case. I, I think it's really well naive to to think that you will just get away with it mm-hmm. if you just run Git and uh, hope. I mean, Gith, like not, nothing wrong with Git, right? <laughs> it's just like whoever is a super majority client at the moment. If there is one, and 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 that you will get away with it, basically y- you are risking your money. And if you, especially if you are a professional and you're staking other people's money, uh, well, then then it's wow. That, that, that's basically uh, I, I don't know. It's not just a professional. It's you. You shouldn't be uh, running a professional staker if you risk uh, other people's money like that. Right. I mean, it gets super confusing, though, because you also did just say that it's better for them, for professional stickers to advertise that they're running the minority. Um, but anyway, but I guess, yeah, no, you did what, say what, it's... what I was saying there is that we don't have a verifiable way. And this is what really annoys me about the system that exists right now. So there's a lot of problems with this system. So we have a system and I don't understand why they designed it like that. What is the idea behind this? We have a system that enshrines basically client diversity. If there is no client diversity, then we have a huge problem because as long as there is multiple clients, 
and we get to the situation of a supermajority bug, then it's an Armageddon scenario. So it's, it's, it's such a bad scenario that you would expect, along with creating such a rule, that you would have two things, both of which are missing. Um, have a positive incentive for running a minority client. There is no positive incentive. There really is really no positive incentive. Like get some some kind of um, I, I don't know more staking power, some kind of way to identify them and give them a retroactive airdrop, whatever. So with the lack of a positive incentive and only having this negative incentive in the case of a black swan scenario, I don't see this design as as, as, as really smart. And then the worst thing comes. Okay, you want to run a staker. Let's see the stats. Who is the supermajority so that I don't run it? As I told you, there is no way to verify it. Right now, our our our, our um, stats are basically just asking the biggest operators what are they running. Right? The, 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 this is it. This is what makes the decision. And right now, maybe it is indeed uh, probably it is indeed Geith. Maybe it's not this percentage, but probably quite close. But later, if it comes to more clients or like, I don't know, the Wreath, um, this uh, Rust Ethereum that um, is being made by Paradigm, when this gets a lot of uh, users, uh, then we will have another question again between like two or three clients. Uh, and maybe because everybody will switch to that because it will be very performant because it's made in Rust or whatever. This is like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but let's say that it's, it's super performant and better and you want, many people try it and the specs are amazing. So we can have the same problem again. We will still have no verifiable way to, to actually check what at any point is the, uh, the supermajority client, if any. Hmm. And one question, um, because I know at least for wallets that, you know, an analytics provider can kind of look at certain sort of like fingerprint type things about transactions to kind of figure out what wallet was being used. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't that you can't do that with um, blocks and, you know, these execution clients. So as far as I understand, and I'm not a client developer, so I can't really speak with confidence to this, but I have asked them, uh, but there is no uh, way that is not uh, spoofable. So Uh, everything can be spoofed. And the only way that they could probably make it completely identifiable is they have some closed source DRM thing on the client that uh, runs, but that would go very much against the idea. Because this okay. also goes not only... So both problems are actually very related, right? What I said, the positive incentives and the identify identification of the actual percentages of the client diversity, they are tied because they all both depend on how do you identify a client and and don't um, uh, in a non-spoofable way? Because especially if you put positive incentives, then everybody would be like, okay, who is this, the minority client? Who would get the most uh, stuff? Let me spoof it because oh, the wow. incentives change then. And that's why they say that the only incentive that cannot be spoofed is, uh, well, when you get slashed because of a supermajority bug. <laughs> But by then it's too late. So this is my problem with this design. So if we get to that point, it will be really bad for for the ecosystem, basically. Oh, okay. Well, it's um, unfortunate that we can't end on a positive note with some change in the future that could resolve this problem. But um, hopefully down the line. I did hear something. I did hear that some Nethermind devs uh, in Twitter, they they said that they're working on a way to identify uh, the clients uh, uh, better. Oh, 
so they are trying to, I mean, they identify that this is a problem and they are trying to, 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 to work on this. And Peter from Geth, uh, from Geth also said a um, draft of an idea um, was a bit complicated exist um, in, in GitHub, uh, but they would have an, a thing that would run the state um, verification in every client as, as a module so that um, you could see if what you are about to push to the network agrees with the view of every um, of every other major client that exists so that you don't end up causing this uh, kind of bug. If it, oh. so, like I just gave it a look. I'm, I'm not a client developer, so this is kind of right. what I understood. So if you want a positive note, it would be that these problems are identified and they are looking at them to try and, well, I mean, make things uh, better so that we don't have to worry about a black swan. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hopefully um, we'll have more positive news on that front at some point down the line. Um, well, Left Harris, this has been uh, very illuminating. Thank you for coming on Unchained. My pleasure. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap, today presented by Unchained contributor Megan Christensen. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. DeFi just got way easier with Volcraft, your no-code toolkit for building, deploying, and monetizing automated yield strategies in a few clicks. Forget spending months of R&D and capital when you can instantly launch your crypto fund with Vaultcraft on any EVM chain. From wallets and institutional service providers to anon DeFi DGENs, anyone can use Vaultcraft to supercharge their crypto. Join Vaultcraft's referral program, unite with the community, and supercharge your crypto. Details on Vaultcraft.io. Welcome to this week's Crypto Roundup. In today's recap, we'll delve into the unfolding legal challenges between the SEC and Binance, the decision to delay Ethereum ETFs, and the significant liquidation of Bitcoin seized from Silk Road activities. We're also covering the bankruptcy filing of Terraform Labs, security breaches impacting the industry, and the community support for Tornado Cash developers facing legal issues. Thanks for tuning in to the Weekly News Recap. I'm Megan Christensen, a producer here at Unchained. In the ongoing case between the SEC and Binance, the largest crypto exchange by trading volume, Judge Amy Berman Jackson of the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia questioned the SEC's vague definition of digital assets as securities. During the court hearing, Jackson expressed frustration, emphasizing the need for the SEC to express between what constitutes a security and what does not. The SEC's stance that Binance's BNB token is offered, sold, and traded as an investment contract remains a central point of contention. This case is among a series of recent and current legal challenges for the SEC, notably including its courtroom loss against Ripple last summer. In the courtroom, Jackson rigorously questioned lawyers for both Binance and the SEC, although she showed limited interest in Binance's defense regarding its initial coin offering. In related news, a U.S. judge denied Chengpeng Zhao's request to travel to the UAE, despite the Binance co-founder offering his $4.5 billion in Binance U.S. equity as a security. Zhao pled guilty to charges related to anti-money laundering failures at Binance and agreed to step down as CEO, faces 10 to 18 months in prison. He requested permission to attend an unnamed individual's hospitalization and surgery in Abu Dhabi. The SEC has delayed its decision on BlackRock's application for a spot Ethereum ETF. This postponement, announced in a filing by SEC Assistant Secretary Sherry Haywood, prolongs the wait for the conversion of BlackRock's iShares Ethereum Trust. The SEC extended its review process because it had received no public comments yet on the proposal. 
This move conforms with SEC's pattern of extending deadlines for similar crypto-related applications. A final decision on the Ethereum ETF is now anticipated in May. The recent approval of 11-spot Bitcoin ETFs had fueled optimism for an Ethereum equivalent, but SEC Chairman Gary Gensler emphasized that their decision on spot Bitcoin ETFs is limited to that specific asset and should not be extrapolated to Ethereum or other cryptocurrencies. In a similar vein, the SEC has also postponed its decision on Grayscale's proposal for a spot Ethereum ETF. This additional delay was accompanied by an order to institute proceedings and seek public comment, particularly on issues related to Ethereum's proof-of-stake mechanism and the potential for fraud and manipulation. A report has revealed that the FTX estate of the now-defunct crypto exchange FTX was responsible for approximately a billion dollars of the outflows from the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, with many pointing to this as the reason why Bitcoin's price has come down so much recently, despite the highly anticipated launch of spot Bitcoin ETFs. In a related matter, Alameda Research, the trading firm linked with FTX, has voluntarily dismissed its lawsuit against Grayscale Investments. Initiated over allegations of high fees and a ban on redemptions, this lawsuit was a point of contention in the crypto community. The lawsuit's end aligns with the unfolding of events surrounding FTX's bankruptcy proceedings and the liquidation of its GBTC holdings. John Ray III, FTX's CEO, has criticized Grayscale's handling of the fund for aiming to, quote, maximize recoveries for creditors, end quote. The United States government filed notice to dispose of over $117 million in Bitcoin, confiscated from Silk Road-related activities. This move involves the sale of about 2,900 Bitcoins linked to Ryan Ferris and Sean Bridges. Ferris, who pled guilty to money laundering in Maryland, and Bridges, a former Secret Service agent who pled guilty to theft during the Silk Road investigation, were both ordered to forfeit their Bitcoin holdings. The sale, aimed at liquidating assets tied to these criminal cases, represents a significant action by the U.S. in managing assets obtained through legal forfeitures in the cryptocurrency domain. Terraform Labs, the entity behind the Terra Luna ecosystem, has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the United States. This is a significant development given the size of the collapse and the company's notable legal challenges. CEO Chris Amani emphasized that the bankruptcy filing would enable Terraform Labs to maintain operational continuity while resolving pending legal issues. The documentation for the bankruptcy states that the company's assets and liabilities ranging from $100 million to $500 million, with fewer than 200 creditors involved. This move is critical for Terraform Labs, particularly in light of the SEC's ongoing lawsuit, which accuses former CEO Do Kwan and the company of a $40 billion fraud. The Chapter 11 filing provides Terraform Labs a structured opportunity to reorganize and address its liabilities. And this week, the SEC disclosed the cause of the social media prank that prematurely announced its approval of the spot Bitcoin ETFs. The breach was a result of a, quote, SIM swap, end quote, attack. In this cyber attack, the perpetrator hijacked the SEC's account by transferring the associated phone number to a new SIM card under their control. The SEC's investigation revealed that the account's multi-factor authentication had been disabled for six months due to access issues, a lapse that the agency has since rectified. In related news, there are two other notable security breaches. A phishing scam involving a fake coin telegraph and wallet connect airdrop led to a loss of nearly $580,000. Users were deceived into linking their wallets to a fraudulent website. And hardware wallet company Trezor reported a data breach affecting 66,000 users due to unauthorized access to a support ticketing portal, potentially exposing them to phishing risks. Fortunately, no funds were lost. Tornado Cash developers Roman Storm and Alexei Pertsev have raised over $350,000 for their legal defense, 
with prominent backing from Edward Snowden. The Tornado Cash Service, designed to provide anonymity in crypto transactions, is at the center of U.S. allegations of money laundering and sanctions violations. Storm is under house arrest in Washington state, and Pertsev has been jailed in the Netherlands as they wait to face these charges. Pertsev's wife, Anna, spearheaded the fundraising campaign. Snowden, the former U.S. National Security Agency whistleblower, has publicly supported their cause, emphasizing the importance of privacy and its distinction from criminality. This case highlights the ongoing tension between privacy in the digital age and regulatory compliance, drawing significant attention within the crypto community. As these developers confront legal challenges, the outcome may set a precedent for the treatment of privacy-focused technologies in the industry. The Avalanche Foundation, steering the $100 million Cultural Catalyst program, has defined its criteria for meme coin investments. This move follows their December 2023 announcement to support meme coins. The criteria encompass security, maturity, and popularity factors. Key standards include a fair token launch, resistance to snip bots, verified security, and certain market presence indicators like a minimum of 2,000 unique holders, over $200,000 in total liquidity, and a market capitalization above a million dollars. Additionally, the top 100 holders should own less than 60% of the total supply. And now time for fun bits! Suzu, co-founder of Three Arrows Capital, has emerged from a four-month jail stint with some surprisingly upbeat reviews of prison life. In a podcast, Zhu extolled the virtues of his time behind bars in Singapore, declaring it, quote, good for you, end quote, and even, quote, enjoyable, end quote. His unusual endorsement of jail time included praise for the regimented sleep schedule, the joys of simple living, and the unexpected health benefits of sleeping on prison mats. Zhu's lighthearted musings went further, noting how prison life offered a chance to connect with his ancestors, and how doing push-ups became a newfound hobby. The internet reacted with a mix of amusement and skepticism, with some humorously suggesting Zoom might appreciate an extended stay to further enjoy all these benefits. And that's all. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this recap, go to unchainedcrypto.substack.com. That is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. No, really, go there. And sign up for a free newsletter so that you can stay up to date with the latest in crypto. Unchained is produced by Laura Shin with help from Nelson Wang, Matt Pilchard, Juan Aronovich, Megan Gavis, Shashank, and Margaret Korea. The weekly recap was written by Juan Aronovich and edited by Jean Hee Kim. Thanks for listening. Unchained is now a part of the Coindesk Podcast Network. For the latest in digital assets, check out Markets Daily, five days a week, with host Noel Atchison. Follow the Coindesk Podcast Network for some of the best shows in crypto.